Today's episode of The Seam Heads is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe to your favorite podcasting app. wins it off Hader in the bottom of the 10th inning. And you know where we're going. Pack your bags, folks. All aboard. Next stop, pound time. And here's the 1-0 pitch to Matt. Swung on, launched to left field deep. Matt going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And a miraculous comeback by the A's in the ninth is capped by Matt Chapman's three-run home run. And the A's have won the game. You're now listening to The Seameds with Adam Copeland and Ted Ramey, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's The Seameds Podcast. Adam Copeland, Ted Ramey, Rob Bermudez, joined now by another member of the Oakland A's. You know him as a relief pitcher, J.B. Wendelkin. J.B., how you doing, man? I'm good. Appreciate y'all having me. It's great to have you on. And for for A's fans that don't know or don't remember, uh, J.B. got to the A's by way of two different trades. He was first drafted by the Red Sox. Then he ends up actually traded, I think, with Frankie Montas to the White Sox. And then you end up in Oakland. You've gone through a, a Tommy John surgery. But you made your debut with the A's. You're here in Oakland. And uh, and you were ready to be a big part of this bullpen, man. What was that What was that process like for you coming to this organization? Uh, the process was, was, a little, was a grindy one for me. Cause it was, I, didn't, I wasn't, I should say, ready, to say the least. And I had a lot of, a lot, a lot of learning to do. And then... By the end of 2016, I actually tore my elbow. So not only did I have to relearn how to throw, I had to grow up pretty quick mentally and uh, physically. And I think uh, after that 18 months, I took off and bounced back. You know, I'm curious when you had that injury happen in 2016, how frustrated were you? Because, you know, like that's that's the dream of everybody getting up to the bigs and you have this opportunity and suddenly your elbow goes. Uh, What was going through your head at that point? Were there any doubts, or was it just like, all right, I'm going to put my head down and work on this and go forward? Oh, no doubt. It's one of those things. Like you, you made it to the highest level, and you, you, you like, I made it kind of thing, and then, and then it makes you doubt your every move. And and uh, Ryan Matson was like, don't take, don't take a, anything for granted. Do the little things to a T, and you'll come out on top. And that I did. I mean, they told me to move my wrist, hold a stick and move my wrist. I mean, you couldn't have done it any better than I did. <laughs> but uh, uh, after all that went through, it's just like you had, like I said, you had those doubts and then with those little bit of advice, you're like, you, this is, this is small. This is a small thing. It's easy to come overcome. And sure enough, it was, it was one of the greatest experiences ever. Best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest with you. Fast forward to, I believe it was 2018. You're putting up, absolute crazy numbers in triple a i think you were striking out 40 percent of batters at the time and then you get you come back to oakland and, and you have some immediate success in the bullpen uh where do you think you know your mechanics reworked your fastballs topping out of your you're hitting the upper 90s just how exciting was it to get back to the big leagues and, and to have that success oh it was amazing like like i said it was like the only one working is described as amazing because when you when you put in that much effort and like I said, doing the little things right and then just just from that and then your arm just healing 
and then coming back and then having some major success, it's it's one of the greatest feelings of all times because of the, the, the little things that strengthen you. Not 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 just physically but mentally and working on the mechanics with Lefty, Craig Lefferts and all that down there was just revamping me, just being me, don't be so out of control, like walk that line kind of thing, keeping us the grindstone kind of thing. And it was one of those things where it didn't take much. It was all inside of me the whole time. It was just, you got to, you got to find yourself. And I mean, like I said, it was amazing. You can't, you can't, you can't change anything about it. So you mentioned before, you know, you go through this process and you had to grow up physically and you had to grow up mentally. I mean, you were a young man, 23, 24 years old when this happens to you, but you had gotten to the big leagues. You're a kid from Georgia. Are you a, are, are you a Braves guy? Are you a big Falcons guy? What was your, uh, what was your growing up fanhood like JB? Oh, it was Braves all day when I was a kid. Um, my mom was a diehard Braves fan. My dad was the same way. Chipper Jones was my favorite. And then Tim Hudson, I, I learned a lot by watching him over the years. But, uh, yeah, childhood was – I'm in the sticks, so I played outside 90% of my life. And uh, I, I hit rocks at baseball bats, and <laughs> I ruined a lot. I, I wasted a lot of money on my, my parents. But uh, <laughs> the – the, the the childhood was you're every every Georgian. It's your Braves, Falcons, through and through, Dirty Bird all day. And then when I got uh got drafted, I actually played with a guy, Shaq uh Shaq Green Thompson. And I actually went first round to the uh Panthers, so I became a little Panthers fan for a second there. Yeah, Thompson now, good good player for Thompson, man. And so I wonder, have you have you had any run ins with Tim Hudson? Tim Hudson I have not. I have not. I wish I could. Uh I, I think I've seen him a couple times with Oakland, but I've been like bouncing back and forth. So I've never been consistent enough to see him out there. Dude, what's your take on being out in Oakland now? Because, you know, it's the exact opposite coast compared to Georgia. The A's <laughs> culture is totally different. I think the A's culture in baseball is different than almost every other team in their fan base. So what was it like coming out to out to Oakland in the Bay Area after growing up in Georgia? Uh, it was it was awesome. Honestly, I, I get there and I don't know what to expect. Obviously, I'm used to pine trees, and I get there and I'm seeing ocean and buildings and all that. But uh, yeah, it it was it, there with open arms. Everybody was probably the the nicest people ever. And then the the just die hard when you hear those drums, your heart starts racing because you know. It's, I mean, I almost said cuss, but <laughs> things are getting real. But. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, like, it's that's one of the best fan bases out there because they, I mean, they're into the game. They don't ever take a break. And it's with open arms, they they, they cheer you on. They, they love you. They they hate you. They do it all. But you know what? They're always there for you. And uh, they're on my – they, I have a, a couple good friends that I've met through the fan base, like season ticket holders and whatnot, and hung out with them. And they actually keep in touch with me a fairly good bit. So, I mean, like I said, just through and through good people. Especially over the past couple of years, there's been an emphasis on kind of like how great the locker room inside the, the A's locker room is and how it's a bunch of guys that are all friendly. There's there's just good vibes back and forth. Um, what was kind of the vibe? I know you're coming off 97 wins back-to-back years, and then you start picking up in, in spring training after kind of a slow start. The team looked like it was getting hot and ready to, to go on a run. What was the vibe in the locker room uh, before things just kind of abruptly ended, free and easy. I mean, you can't. All of us seem like we're best friends. There's not. There's. You can tell. You can say whatever you want. No one. Everyone's gonna have your back, kind of thing. And it's it's a dynamic that's that I don't think could be ever repeated. Because that 
I mean, that that's just too much fun. It's never a dull moment. You just go out there and you're having a blast every single day. You're having fun. You're not playing tight. You're just loose. You're enjoying the time. And that's how you that's how you win by not tightening up, just being loose and being happy. From getting a scoop from the inside of it, it's that's something to look into as a fan. That not not necessarily you have to have all the talent in the world, but you can have a good, really good um, like camaraderie in the clubhouse. And you got you got a winning team right there without even trying. I imagine that that's really important, especially with a core of young guys like this, but especially at a big league level where it's such a such a slog for six months that you got to get through this thing. But playing for each other and relying on each other, I imagine, is important, especially for a guy like you who's a bullpen pitcher. I always wonder about a guy who comes in out of the pen, where you have to find the balance between what you know is working or not working and what you have to do to trust your catcher. Like, Where do you find that balance? If a guy throws a number down and you're like, man, my number two, my curveball, my slider is not working today, but he tells me to keep throwing it, where do you find the balance between trusting your catcher and trusting your stuff my thing is with when it comes to catchers i mean all catchers and pitchers are tight net i'd be the of them all to be honest with you because not only do they know what you throw or how you feel they can literally tell you ain't got to tell them when you get in this it's, it's you're already on the same page and if it's if it somehow if you're not it's because lack of days pulling the mound and you weren't full and they got a misreading on you because those guys, I'm telling you what, those guys, they know you. You don't. They do their homework more than anything I've ever seen. He's already, he's already got me filled out the whole way. So let me ask you now that we're in the midst of the shutdown. How are you keeping ready? Like, are you doing long toss? Are you doing bullpen sessions? Like, what's where? Where are you in terms of trying to keep your arm ready to go without also not tiring out your arm? Uh, working out, and uh, I actually talked to one of our. Uh, uh, coaches, the our trainers the other day, and they were. He was asking me, it's like I was going, throwing pretty much every day, staying loose and getting getting off the bump uh, about two days. And he's like, I don't want to wear yourself out, kind of thing. So I slowed it down 120 feet to a net, just nice and easy, flicking it over there. And then I'll get off the mound and I'll go probably like 75 percent for about 20 or 30 throws, just to keep the arm really to overdo it or anything. And I'm working out in the gym doing all the shoulder workouts and stuff. Well, you got to be ready because there's really no guidelines for this. It's more just stay loose and ready, but not at 100%. Be around like 85%, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that that I think that's going to that's going to be the 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 thing for everybody. The key you'll see coming back if you see guys that are a little rusty, I mean, they didn't do exactly what they wanted to or not, but what not. But I think for the most part it's just just staying, staying kind of like in the group of baseball, all season. Relievers are are kind of known as being quirky guys, especially when you're waiting six, seven, eight innings to get into a game, and, and you got to do a lot of things to pass the time. Some of them stranger than others. I know we've seen, uh, what was it, rally seeds and and skittles being buried in the, in the dirt. Uh, what are some of the craziest or weirdest things you've done? with your bullpen mates in a game and, and who's the, like the most fun guy to be, to be share a bullpen with. Oh man. You can't pick out one. The whole bullpen's fun to hang out with. Probably was, I can tell you what I do. That's weird. I drink about three rebels a game, which is probably the worst thing for you, but I, <laughs> I don't know why I do it, but I am ready at any moment from the, I crack it at first pitch and I hit it again at third inning and then the sixth <laughs> inning. <laughs> I just I, I ride this Red Bull storm all the way out, so 
So uh, we do that. I mean, Liam don't like you touching his bait. He'll grab a ball. I'm like, that's his ball. Don't touch his ball kind of thing. We always like to grab it and hide it from him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, it's, it's, it's funny because, I mean, you Yusmero throws the heavy ball and almost knocks Phil down every time he throws it because the ball's like 98 pounds. So <laughs> You you see a bunch of different things, but I mean everybody's the whole bullpen's fun to be around. It's all about whatever works for you, man. Hey JB, we really appreciate the time today. It's been a blast talking to you. We're glad you're uh, you're staying healthy and and uh, staying at home and working out. And uh, we hope to see you uh, back on the field soon, man. We really do miss it. Thank y'all. Yeah, thanks thank a lot, man. All right, thanks. Fun stuff talking to JB Wendelkin. Um, dude, he was going to be part of the bullpen this year, man. He was going to be part of this. Uh, these these young core of arms, and you forget that, that they'd made two trades to get him here, or the A's didn't. He had been traded twice before he gets here. He has the Tommy John, and um, seems like a very humble guy, humble beginnings, working his way up through the system, and just happened to be part of the Oakland A's. But it really does, the more we talk to these guys, the more we get insight on their character and, and what it's like to be around them. I just really get the feeling these guys are, are laid back and cool, and they're normal dudes playing baseball, trying to win a World Series, man. Yeah, dude, I I love the uh, the laid back vibe he had, and then also the juxtaposition with the being a coolest guy in the world, but also slamming down three Red Bulls in a game. Like, <laughs> like do you think that guy's ready to go? Like, that's that's a good amount of caffeine. I, yeah, it wasn't. I think it was last well last season. I think it was the end of twenty eighteen that we saw Manaya and, and a couple other guys, and and JB was part of that. That they'd smashed their Red Bull as soon as the game started. They just chug these ice cold Red Bulls and get brain freeze right before they go out and you know throw six dominant shutout innings. But it's uh, it's always fun to talk to them. When I know relievers really are quirky guys. They got their set routines. There's just if you think about it, if you're not necessarily knowing exactly when you're coming into a game. You might think, okay, I'm a seventh inning guy, but all of a sudden your starter gets in trouble and it's a close game and maybe you're coming in in the fifth or sixth. And so to kind of always be ready, always be kind of loose, uh, I think it makes sense that they're all a bunch of crazy weird dudes. It is funny, like as a relief pitcher, you're on like, you're like the friend who works graveyard shift, right? Like everybody else gets off at a normal work hour, but you're like, yeah, I don't have to be at work till like 5 p.m. or I'm working the dinner shift, so I don't have to be up till late. I remember one time uh, I was in college and I was at a, at a nightclub in the city and dude, I ran into Sergio Romo at the nightclub and it's like 1 a.m. And I said to him, I was like, dude, don't you have a game? It was a day game the next day. I said, don't you have a day game tomorrow? And he said, yeah, but I'm a reliever, so I don't have to pitch till like 3 <laughs> I, remember, I remember thinking like dude i never even considered that you get these starting pitchers you know your shot manias and dudes who got to get to bed so they can get to the ballpark at the normal time get their routine these other relievers can roll in and whenever they feel like they're like yeah once the game starts i have at least two and a half hours the uh i'd imagine the opener situation has screwed up sergio romo and and some of these other guys a little bit right because yeah, romo did he was one of the first openers he was like Tampa. the first he's the first guy how funny is that yeah now, in, in hindsight now, Romo's like, yeah, dude, I can't go out anymore. I'm I'm the opener for the next three days. So I well, he's, he's an older man than he used to be, Copes, as I like to say, he's never been older. So I'm sure yeah. I'm sure without being an opener, that was, that maturation or maturation was going to happen regardless. Yeah, it was uh, it was inevitable, dude. So uh, fun stuff today, man. Fun getting uh, JB Wendelkin on. We appreciate uh, him coming on and appreciate the A's giving us uh, players. Uh, almost every week, it seems like now, during this this hiatus from baseball season. So we're asking again if you enjoy the podcast to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you join us on Monday. Former Oakland A and A's analyst Shooty Babbitt going to join us on the podcast. So we will talk to you guys on Monday. <laughs>